Well, this morning we are uh, we're back in our study of First Corinthians. We've been walking through the last several weeks uh, in a series entitled "Grace Changes Everything," and that is so fitting for us today as we think about God's grace and all that we've experienced. Um, and and we're finding that there is just so much about this letter that is applicable to where we are in life. It's amazing that, uh, uh, sadly for Paul, he, I'm sure he was frustrated with all that was gone, going on in the life of this church and all the issues that they had, but man, we are reaping the benefits of this. And this is a really practical letter. We're seeing that it affects change, not just in our hearts and our minds and how we think about God, but it's affecting change in us as, as we think about the practice of our life, the action of our life, the, the habits that we have, and, and, and how we walk day to day. And, and last week, Mark walked us through the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he highlighted how we don't operate out of the wisdom of this world or a wisdom that, that comes from ourselves. We, we seek to operate out of the power that is God's through His Spirit at work in our lives. I was thinking about this during the week, and, and maybe the reason this letter resonates so much with us is because at Denniston Baptist Church, and this is the very beginning, if, if you've gone through and read through our vision statement document, the very first line of that is that we're a group of ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. And we admit that we are far from perfect. Uh, that's one of the things that we are not shy about, that all of us have struggles, all of us have issues. We're all walking in this journey of life together where God is conforming us more and more to the image of Christ. And it's in the midst of that that we draw near to God and allow Him to change us and make us more like Himself. And that's a fitting place for us to start as we think about our passage today. So turn with me, if you would, to Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to pick up where Mark left off last week. The words are going to be on the screen, but if, if you have a physical copy, I, I urge you to look at that as, uh, and just check me out, have it in your hand. We always want to go back to the Scripture, as Mark said last week, to make sure everything is biblical. We'll be reading from the CSB. If you want a hard copy, there's some on the shelf as well. Read with me, starting in verse 6. It would be helpful if I was in the right book. don't want to read the wrong We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages, of our, uh, ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
this passage is a continuation of what Mark preached last week. And as I read through this, and, and this passage and the ones before it and the ones afterward, I, I can't help but be drawn back to the very beginning of this letter. Just after Paul's greeting and his initial, we're thankful for you, we've been praying for you, glad God's doing some good stuff in you, and then he just gets right into correction mode and just goes right after them, uh, just kind of pointing out some glaring mistakes that's, that are happening here. Uh, and he begins to point out the issue within this church that is causing division. And that issue on the surface is that this congregation has been splintered into factions. And, and as you think about it, they, are, they all have different allegiances. They all have various, uh, they have ties to various Christian celebrities of the first century, if there was such a thing. You, what you have is people saying, I, I'm, I'm going to follow the ways of Apollos. Well, I mean, he's a great, great communicator. He knows a whole lot about the law in the Old Testament. His, his wisdom in that is just amazing. Someone says, well, I'm going to follow Paul. I mean, he started this church, so why not follow him? And you have some saying, well, I'm going to follow Peter, Cephas, because Jesus left him in charge. And some really spiritual are like, well, I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, and, and you have, and Paul lists that in there in that chapter. Just this, these people are saying, I follow him, I follow him, I follow him. And what's behind this is a pride and a delight in the appearance of wisdom. And you see that in verses 11 and 12 in chapter 1. And, I, and, and this issue is, is causing the vision that Paul addresses. And it's why there's a thread of the, the, and the theme of wisdom and foolishness that Paul weaves through these first two chapters. Over and over again, he contrasts wisdom and foolishness, wisdom and foolishness. And he even takes a surprising, talking about the wisdom of God seems like foolishness to us. And God uses the foolish things, you know, to, to, to show himself wise. And he, he's saying some really crazy things. And we're going to see in the coming weeks and months that Paul does this to point out how obsession with wisdom points to a lack of spiritual maturity. You can see this as you read section by section, chapter by chapter, that there's this, um, this immaturity in how they view the church, how, how they view sin within the body, the church family, how they view food and daily life with one another, how they view church leadership and those in authority within the church, how they view worship and just the disorder that's within. There's this obsession with wisdom that, that's just the entry point to a lot of other things, that sin is crouching at their door and, and this is the way that it's getting in. And Paul is pointing out how all of it stems, all this immaturity stems from this obsession with wisdom. And we see that here in our passage. So knowing all of that, that gives us context to understand what Paul is talking about. So we're gonna walk through this passage and see what I'm talking about this morning. Um, look at, looking at verses six to 16, these 11 verses, he sufficiently has just destroyed any notion that they actually are wise. <laughs> um, I, I would hate for that, for my weaknesses and my obsessions to be immortalized on the pages of Scripture like that. <laughs> I mean, he just savages them. Uh, and, and then he talks about this is what real wisdom looks like. Look at verses 6 to 8. He says, We do, however, that, 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 was, that was foolishness, but we do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. So we do speak a wisdom 
Mark said it last week that this culture was captivated not just with the concept of wisdom or, or having wise words. They're captivated by even the presentation of wisdom, the tone, the cadence, the, the, the whole, the, the drama of it all. And there's this show, and that just points out how much of a show that it was. It wasn't really wisdom people had a fascination with. It was the appearance of wisdom, this fear of man that if I can project a certain image about myself and appear wise, people will respect me. And ultimately that becomes an idol, fear of man, my own heart, pride. And in spite of Paul rebuking their preoccupation with it, Paul does tell them that there is a wisdom that's good and true. I mean, it's not that wisdom is bad. Wisdom is good. But he's talking about divine wisdom, and there's a difference. See, earthly wisdom seems lofty. It seems like it has a whole lot to offer us. And there's a fascination that comes from our fleshly ears when we hear things that appear wise. Why? Think about this. How many adverts do you see that claim to have secrets, hidden mysteries. How many, how many religious, uh, world religions and religious sects out there uh, uh, um, say that they have, claim that they have the hidden secrets of the universe? We have found it. We've discovered it. If you follow our way, you can unlock it as well. That seems so enticing to us, but why? Uh, why are we so pre preoccupied with this? Let me read another passage. This is not going to be on the screen. I just want to read this for you, and I, I think this explains why. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God, did the Lord God really say, You can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. Since the very beginning of time, this has been a huge, glaring blind spot for humanity. The lie of the garden is that if we can just obtain enough wisdom, we can grow to be like God. And maybe even just become wise enough to replace God and us be our own God. And to contrast this fake wisdom that seems so good to our ears, Paul puts things in perspective for us in verses 6 and 7. Not a wisdom of this age, he says, or of the rulers of this age. Verse 7, on the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages. <laughs> before the ages. Paul says that the apostles have been in, indeed given rich wisdom that they've passed on to the church. Wisdom, mysteries even, have been communicated. But not just any wisdom, a wisdom that has been conceived of billions of billions of billions and trillions of years ago in eternity past. A wisdom that was conceived of before there was such a thing as time, before anything that is created was created. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, purposed in His heart to share this wisdom with humanity. And if that doesn't stagger you, 
that doesn't humble you and dumbfound you, I'm not sure what will. <laughs> Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit, existing in perfect harmony, perfect unity and love together, perfect in every single way, decided to share His wisdom with humanity. And what verse 9 points out to us is, is that as huge as the universe is, He's chosen us, us, here on this seemingly insignificant little rock. <laughs> Humanity, He's chosen us to reveal Himself, to make Himself both knowable and known, so that, so that we might walk in relationship with Him, in fellowship with Him. How fantastically brilliant is that? So that brings us to the main point of how, well, how, what's our response to this? Number one, it's this. Our response to all of this should be one of awe before God. Let us remember God and who we are in comparison. We have to cultivate a holy fear in our hearts and lives as we recognize the greatness of not only who God is, but that He would do this for us. Awe for God. It's so easy in this world to become cynical. Man, I know. I, I struggle with that, being cynical, uh, being suspicious, even complacent. It's easy for us to be complacent with that truth. But let us recapture today the sense of wonder of that staggering truth. Let's continue on in our passage. Look at verse 8 with me. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what He has freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit. As we think through the nature of God's wisdom that's revealed to us, we see even more of the reasoning that Paul had as he is writing this letter to this to this church i mean he he writes this chapter including what mark preached last week for this specific reason when he when when we come to understand the nature of god's wisdom we see that it's not something that we can grapple with on our own it's just not i mean the truths of god they seem simple on one hand but on another hand they seem absolutely absurd ludicrous even I, it seems implausible. The fact that Almighty God over everything, who is eternal and totally other from us in every other way, that He would want relationship with humanity, with feeble, insignificant humanity. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. But it's that very truth that makes us in awe of who God is. His grace in that changes everything for us. So that brings us to response number two. Main point number two, because of the nature of this reality, you and I cannot convince others of this truth. That's what this passage says. We present the truth to others, but we cannot convince them of this. 
Look at verse 13. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Listen to this. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. Each of us have our own story as followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a unique story of how you began to follow Christ. You think about who the people this in the story the people that were in your life the circumstances surrounding it that moment that led up to that moment the geography of where you were there's so much that was a unique story that makes it a unique story but there's one point that's universal about every single one of our stories of putting faith in jesus and that's this this wasn't something you simply came to realize on your own the truth of the gospel was also not something that we became convinced of because someone else had a good argument. Instead, the Spirit of God revealed truth to you, giving you understanding, giving me understanding. In His grace, God opened our eyes to the truth, and then He convinces us that the truth is actually true. None of us can claim any credit. None of us. We can't take any pride in the fact that we've become followers of Jesus. Paul, in another letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he says, This is by grace you've been, you've been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one should boast. None of us can claim credit. None of us. And that's because it was God who found us and revealed the truth to us. In my job, uh, I spend a significant amount of time training people and principles and methods of making disciples and how do you just naturally share your faith in normal life with others that are around you and uh, and there's something fundamental that i am very intentional to share as we do trainings like that every single time i train someone else and that's this that you are not responsible for changing the hearts and the minds of others that is god's responsibility to be clear, we have a firm mandate to give a verbal witness of the gospel. Uh, that's what we're called to do. That's our responsibility. Every single one of us as followers of Jesus, we share the truth of who Christ is and the truth of his love. But our role in this process is to be obedient, to love others and to share the truth, not to actually do the changing. The Spirit is the one who does the work in the hearts of others. I hope that makes sense this morning, and I pray that what this does is it liberates you from feeling a burden that is not yours to carry. We do that. We try to carry, oh, but if I could just say the right things, if I could just express it the right way, if I could just love them the right way, then maybe they'd understand. No, love them as Christ has loved you. Speak truth that Christ has given you, and let the Spirit do His work. Trust Him. Don't try to take responsibility for how others receive the message of truth or whether or not they believe the truth. Friday afternoon, I, I was sharing the gospel with someone whom I've shared with before. And as we talked, the door just opened for me to go right to the gospel. This guy was like, so what do you think about Jesus? And I was like, green light, let's go. <laughs> and, and I'm just talking and I tell him who Jesus is to me. And, and I know, all right, I've got about 10 seconds is my window. And so in 10 seconds, I just laid out and basically what the gospel is. And you know what happened? The guy acted like I had been talking to a wall. <laughs> it was as if I was talking about the weather. There was no observable difference that took place surrounding the message of the gospel I shared. Yet, other times, I share the gospel and there's questions. There's interest. 
there's a, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard kind of comments. And there's progression towards faith in Jesus. So what are we to make of that? I mean, that's crazy stuff. I, what we make is that the Spirit works to move in the hearts of others. It's not for you and me to try to force things upon other people, not to force the issue. Instead, we trust the Lord. We trust His timing. We have confidence that He knows what He's doing, that He actually, from eternity past, is all-knowing. <laughs> that He does know all things, that He actually is loving and merciful and gracious. Admittedly, I don't understand why some hear the message of the gospel and believe it the very first time. And yet others hear time and time and time throughout their whole entire life and never actually believe. I don't understand that. I, I can't make sense of that. But we trust the Lord and His goodness. We trust the work of the Spirit. Lastly, what, what can we take away from this passage this morning is an admonishment for those of us who follow Jesus. And this is our, our last big point. Um, look at verses 12 to 13 with me. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Brothers and sisters, the very same Holy Spirit of God who is equal in every way to the Father and the Son dwells within you. That's what the Scripture tells us. He's living and active within us. This is the Spirit who knows all things that the Father knows. He knows all things that the Son knows. The one who's intimately aware of the collective purposes and intentions of God. He dwells within every single believer. That's an amazing mystery for us today, one that we can't fully latch on to, one that we have to just kind of accept and understand. But the truth of this should cause us to lean into Him and embrace Him. Embrace Him. And what I mean by that is that the truth of this mystery should cause us to pursue listening to His voice in primarily God's Word. As we dig in, He's always, always speaking to us through His Word. Listening in moments of prayer, listening in the, through the circumstances of my life, and I gauge that through what He says in His Word. The mystery of this should cause us to be continually seeking to discern what the Spirit is saying to us. The reality that He speaks to us through His Word changes everything for us today. I'm no longer trying to figure it out. I'm no longer flipping a coin trying to figure out, well, heads, I go this way, tails, I go this way. I can turn to the pages of Scripture and I sense the voice of the Spirit. And that is a mystery that we can't quite fully communicate or articulate how it works. That should cause us to be in awe. It should cause us to want to hear His Spirit even more. Is this something you thought about, you know? God doesn't leave us on our own to figure it out. I think too often we can be very re reactive in this area of our life. We, we wait for those big fork in the road kind of moments, and it's in those moments I'm like, okay, God, 
right now. I'm not just going to pray. I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to be devoted to your word. I'm not just going to spend my 15 minutes I've been doing or five minutes I've been doing the last. I'm an hour. You know, it's like I began to read like Adoniram Judson where he says, I can't even sleep the whole night in my bed. I got to get up and spend like three hours of prayer. I can't. I got so much. Martin Luther, I got so much to do today. I have to spend the first four hours of my day in prayer. You know, that's like we take that kind of persona on because I got to know God. Which way do I go? This family member, this decision, whatever. But what about just the mundane things of life? <laughs> What's it? I don't know. What, what about the mundane things of life? The normal routine things that we don't give a whole lot of thought to. Do we sense the, seek the voice of the Lord and, and, and just the ordinary stuff? It's easy in those big moments right? The big fork in the road is obvious. I need big red flags. God, please give me direction. But in my daily, normal, everyday stuff, am I seeking his voice? How much different would it be if we were just continually, daily seeking his voice? If we were just on our face before him, if we were committed to being in his word, just, I want to hear from you today, God. I don't have maybe four hours this morning to give to this, but right now I want to focus. I want to hear your voice and your word speak to me. I'm desperate to hear from you. What would life look like? This doesn't come about in life unless you're willing to dive into his word and listen to his voice. It's not something that just happens. The Bible contains every single thing we need to know about God. It's God's revelation of himself to us in written form. It is Jesus in the flesh on the page to us. We base everything off of it. We feast our hearts on it. Then we begin to base our lives on it, and we begin to know the voice of the Lord. When that happens, we begin to take notice that he isn't just speaking in in the Word. Oh, man, he's speaking through every day. I'm not even hearing it. Through others, through my circumstances. But am I listening? As a, as a parent, there's this crazy phenomenon that happens uh, when you're out in crowded places, and you can be sitting in a crowd with lots of noise around, but if your child begins to cry or upset or it becomes desperate in some way, you instantly recognize the voice of that cry. <laughs> oh, I recognize that cry. <laughs> I recognize that call for dad right there. There may be a million of them out there. Oh, I know that one very, very well right there. There's no denying when my child is crying, and you know it because of all the times you spent with the child, listening to the voice, caring for the child. There's been time that's been spent, investment that's been put in, hearing the voice many, many times before. And the same is true for the voice of the Spirit. Are we spending time in the Word listening for His voice enough to recognize when He's speaking to us? Is there enough time spent with Him so that when we're out and about in the rest of our life, we recognize, I'm sitting on the bus, And the prompting of the Spirit is to say hello to the person beside me. Or I'm in the queue at the shop and the person is having a difficult time in front of me and I feel that, oh, I need to say something. Or I'm at work. I'm at family dinner. I'm I'm just in normal stuff. And all of a sudden, I begin to sense the Spirit leading me and guiding me and directing me. It's ironic that I was given this passage to preach this morning. This very issue is something I've been praying about for a month or so in my own life. It's funny how God does that. Uh, I mean, it, that seems, that's just like 
something the Lord would do. Um, give me a passage related to an issue I'm working in my own life. And this last week, last Monday, I was talking with some colleagues and we were talking about things, we can, how we can be praying for one another. And it was, I literally brought up this, I had not done any prep on this yet. I brought up this issue. And then I opened up and was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is so good. Uh, Lord taking me to the woodshed right here um, and convicting me. And it's amazing. In the everyday st- normal stuff, my routine, I, I can get so single-minded on the task that I can totally miss out on. I, I have my rigid schedule, and I can totally miss out on what the Lord is saying in the midst of that. Are we listening for the Spirit's leadership? If it's not a massive moment of decision, do I listen for His leading? Do I trust Him? There's a wisdom from eternity past that's been given to us. For some of us this morning, it's the wisdom that Christ has come to give hope, to give peace, to make a way for us to have a relationship with God. Don't run away from that today. Embrace the truth that Christ lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again so that we might be forgiven and have a relationship with God. He paid every bit of the rebelliousness of my life, my actions, the intentions of my heart, my attitude, every bit of that He has paid for. All it takes is putting faith in Him today. If If that tugs at your heart today, don't run away from that. Don't leave here without talking to us about that. That tugging and sense of heaviness, that conviction is God at work within you. Listen to that. For others of us who've been following Jesus, there's an offer to go deeper in relationship with God. As we grow in understanding who God is more and more in the depths of His holiness, as we grow in understanding how rich His love is, understanding the depths of who He is changes who we are how we look at ourselves, how we look at God, how we look at others around us. It changes how we live. It causes us to be wise. It causes us, like Paul says in the very last line, to have the mind of Christ. This morning, we're going to have a time of response to all that we've heard today. And if, if you want prayer for something, and I, I'm going to be down here at the front. Um, if you want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus, I'm just going to be over here, and I would love to to talk to you about that. Um, The gift of grace that He offers us changes everything today. But will we embrace it? That's the question. Why don't we spend some time singing and pouring out our hearts before God? Father, what a gift it is to have Your Spirit, whom Jesus called the Comforter. Um, Spirit, we thank You that You are at work. You speak you direct, you guide. May you help us to grow in familiarity with your voice. May we understand you. May we be obedient to you. Help us to be more like Christ today. Amen.